welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of the prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked their place of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. Well, a very good morning to you all. Good, thank you. Um, I'm Ashley Davis and I'm here assisting the team and as I've said before for a limited period of time. (laughs) Welcome to those online as well, it's good to uh, connect back again. As we continue to work our way through the series Jesus Through the Eyes of Luke, we are starting a three-week mini-series looking at Luke chapter 14 and 15 and it's titled The Way of Grace. And my prayer is quite simple, that at, by the end of it, we might get a, get a glimpse, because that's all we need, a glimpse of the, God's amazing, astonishing, astounding, uh, anomalous grace. So Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Jesus is once again at a meal. Once again on the Sabbath, once again in the house of a Pharisee and once again he's being closely watched. Even so, Jesus heals on the Sabbath once again. If you've been reading Luke, you may have noticed that the entirety of chapter 14, there's a bit to go at the end of ours yet, parallels the last part of chapter 13, verses 10 to 35. Both sections open with an act of healing on the Sabbath and then both move to lessons on humility and then both end with warnings to the religious leaders and others who believe that they are secure in their relationship with God. Luke seems to enjoy reporting about Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. You can find Sabbath healings in chapter 4, chapter 6, 2 in chapter 6, chapter 13, and then now again in chapter 14. The, the 
repetition of these Sabbath miracles and the discussion of the appropriateness of compassion that follows it, I've got to say, it just grates me a little, the, the repetition. I get it, I think. But Luke is trying to show that even with all these demonstrations of power and compassion, the religious leaders of Jesus' day do not get it. So on this Sabbath, when he heals, the guests are jostling for a position of honour. He tells this wonderful parable um, as they jostle and uh, he's trying to get two messages across, I think. The first one is that selfishness and self-righteousness were so deadly and that these Pharisees would rather see a person die on the Sabbath than to let go of their self-righteousness. And the second point is that this selfishness was so self-defeating that it was literally blocking the goodness and the love of God. If you remember back in Luke 11, we learnt that that sin is blinding and a hard heart is hard to break. Despite numerous opportunities, the religious leaders fail to see what God is doing. They fail to see the goodness of God and the love of God. I find it curious, though, that once again, Jesus turns up at a meal with religious leaders. It's probably fair to suggest that he would have been a disturbing guest. He not only breaks the so-called religious laws by healing on the Sabbath on what seems regular occasions, but then, as if he was the host, he proceeds to give instructions about seating arrangements. To unbelievers, it probably sounded like Jesus was babbling about dinner seating etiquette, um, who to invite, where to sit, etc. Just a bit of an aside on seating etiquette. I used to officiate at a lot of weddings, and uh, the bride and groom usually felt compelled to invite the minister to the reception. You know your place when you're at one of those. Usually the minister gets put on the table with Aunt Mary who went to church once, and with Aunt Mary are all the members of God's awkward squad because no one else wants to sit with them. Oh, the joy. (laughs) Regardless of my cynicism about seating arrangements, Jesus was not teaching dinner etiquette, and he really wasn't concerned about telling guests where they should or shouldn't sit at dinner. No, what Jesus really wanted was to get through everyone's heads and hearts was that the way they were believing, thinking and acting was not God's way. It wasn't then and it isn't now because followers of Jesus, true disciples, are not concerned with self-promotion and self-glorification. You see, Jesus' way is clearly different And he wanted the religious leaders and and everyone really to look to God's grace instead of their own interests because God's way is different. The way of grace is different. Now to many people grace isn't much more than a word. They're aware that it has some kind of religious meaning um, but they're not exactly sure what it means. They know that Christians think that grace is amazing Come on, yeah, thank you, that's good. They know that their dad would sometimes say grace before a meal. 
Um, I've got some examples. Bless this food before us set. It needs all the help that it can get. <laughs> Thank you, God, for not being cabbage. Good food, good meat. Thanks, God. Let's eat. May this meal bring joy, not indigestion. I love this very religious one. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this food and humbly request that you perform a miracle <laughs> and remove the calories from dessert. Uh, my wife Marion's grandfather used to recite, after a meal, rabbit's tender, rabbit's tough, thank the Lord I've had enough. Enough of that. Others may recognise that grace has something to do with religion and, and maybe even salvation or how people get to heaven, but that's sort of the extent of their knowledge of the word grace. So since the point of this healing on the Sabbath and this parable demonstrate grace, before we go any further, I want to give a, a definition uh, of grace that Jesus is looking at here. So let's define grace. According to the dictionary. In Christian belief, grace is the free and unmerited favour of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. Christian belief, grace is the free and unmerited favour of God as manifest in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. In my language, God's free gift of salvation is for everyone who believes. Grace is the forgiveness of our sins, not because of who we are or what we have done, but instead grace is our forgiveness that Jesus purchased on the cross with his body and his blood. Grace means that we don't have to do anything to be saved, redeemed, sanctified, rescued, made righteous or made right with God, if you like, because, my friends, Jesus did it all. Now, you've heard me say this before. Being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus is entirely about God's grace and our response to that grace. And when we respond with belief... We receive this wonderful gift of God that we call grace. So how then does this parable, giving advice on where to sit and whom to invite, teach grace? What does grace have to do with how we think and live? They're good questions and Jesus probably would have been very happy if one of the Pharisees had asked him that, but they didn't. But Jesus showed them anyway. He showed them the connection between the love of God and true humility. He showed the way of God's grace and the way of grace is different. You see, friends, a disciple of Jesus has a completely different understanding of their own self-worth. Most of the world finds self-worth in what one does or has done or who one is. She or he is a, a doctor, a, a parent, an athlete, a president, a, a minister, hero, etc. Or they find self-worth in what one is, race, height, class, beauty, brains, etc., etc. Or they find their worth in how one is honoured by other people, salary, money, the kind of car they drive, rank, privilege, awards, influence, etc., 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 ad infinitum. But the person who responds to God's grace and is transformed into 
Jesus' passionate disciples knows God's law and realise that what we have done and keep on doing always falls short of that law. And we know that as sin. Passionate disciples know that we break every one of God's commandments in one way or another and even when we know that we keep on doing it because our sinful nature seems to want to go in the opposite way from what God desires. And if you want to understand more about that, I suggest you read Romans chapter 7 that confirms that we do not do what we want to do but we do what we don't want to do because of the sin within Read it because it's confusing when you read it, let alone hear it. And when we don't, and when we don't know that we always fall short, our sin then is pride and self righteousness. So we are sinners just like every other human being on the planet. We are desperately in need of forgiveness and unable to save ourselves because our sin and rebellion earn us only one thing death. So know this, our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace and our best days are never so good that we are beyond the need of God's grace. Now I can't speak for you but I know that understanding and accepting these truths does a pretty good job of putting me in my place, of humbling me. I could say quite happily that I'm actually proud of my humility And that would prove the point that I've just made. It's hard to think too highly of yourselves when you know that you have disobeyed God. But that's not really what makes it possible for a believer to think and act the way Jesus encourages us to do here. What makes the difference is God's grace. We realise that despite our natural unworthiness, God still loves us. In fact, God loves us so much that he sacrificed his son who suffered and died on the cross to take away each and every one of our sins and make us right with God. God righteous, if you like. And if we matter that much to God, and we do, and in fact all people do for that matter, then human idea of status and honour just fade into insignificance. I mean, who cares about the best seat at a wedding reception when you are already the guest of honour at Christ's eschatological, never-ending and glorious feast in heaven? Verse 11. The one who exalts themselves will be humbled. The one who humbles themselves will be exalted. The way of grace is different. When we glimpse God's grace... We who have been given Christ's perfection, because that's what happens, as this free gift from God, we lay our pride to rest and we respond by putting others first the same way as Jesus did. That is true humility. So let's have a definition of humility. What is humility? The humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power in the service of others. Humility presupposes your dignity. You are not a doormat, folks, nor do you have low self-esteem. True humility has dignity and strength. Humility is willing. It is a choice, otherwise it's humiliation. Humility is social. It is not a private act of self 
depreciation. It's about redirecting our powers, whether physical, intellectual, financial or structural, for the sake and the service of others. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. For the passionate disciple of Jesus, this is the normal response to just a glimpse of God's grace. Now, if that's not enough, we'll continue on. I want to read from verse 12 of Luke 14. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, we are not only recipients, receivers of God's grace, we are also its distributors. And so we demonstrate grace as we love our neighbour without regard for who or what they are or are not. We love our fellow believers, spouses, daughters, sons, siblings, the same way. Even when your neighbour or your spouse rubs you up the wrong way and you're convinced that he or she did it on purpose, even then you love that person because that's how God loves you and how God loves them. God loves us when we're unlovable. God forgave us when we are un- were unforgivable because, you might have guessed it by now, the way of grace is different. Know this, you will never be called upon to give anyone more grace than God has already given you. I use this final story that's uh, coming up in the midweek worship earlier in the year, but I think it's worth repeating here. Um, In that service, I got a little bit uh, teary, so I'm going to try very hard not to get too connected emotionally. It's a wonderful true story. Joe Bailey is a Christian author and minister, and he had a rebellious son named Tim. Joe tried to reach Tim with arguments and rules, but Tim still rebelled. Tim eventually left home, left the faith, and set up house in an old run-down dump. Tim's rebellion broke Joe's heart. Late one night, Joe got a phone call. This is the police, the voice on the line said. Your son has, uh, was arrested for a DUI. We have him here in the, in the town jail. Joe got out of bed and drove half an hour to the jail where his son was being held. And when he got there, he, told them, he was told that uh, his son wasn't there. So Joe thought, oh, well, I've driven to the wrong, the wrong town. So he drove to the next place, the next town, and then the town after that, and then the one after that. Finally, at around 4am, Joe decided to drive to the old house where he knew Tim had been sleeping. The door wasn't locked, so he stepped inside to look for his son. In the faint light of the darkened room, he saw him asleep in a sleeping bag that was strewn across an old mattress on the floor. He walked over to the mattress and stood over Tim. Then moved with compassion, he bent down, lightly kissed Tim on the cheek and left. In the months that followed, Tim started visiting his parents. 
He returned to church and recommitted his life to Christ. He even announced that he was going into ministry and today he is a pastor of a church. Years later, Joe finally asked Tim what made him want to come back home. Tim looked at his dad and said, don't you know, remember that night years ago when you got a call that I was in jail? Dad, that was my friend. It was a prank. I liked Tim already. When you... When you come to the house, I only pretended to be asleep. I was wide awake. I knew you'd been driving all night in the cold and I wondered what you were going to do to me. And all you did was bend down and kiss me on the cheek. Dad, the kiss brought me back. That's God's grace at work. It's amazing what lengths true loves will go to to be reconciled with the recipient of that love. We sang it earlier, love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. God loves us when we're unlovable. God forgave us when we're unforgivable because the way of grace is different. Now I am hoping and even praying that we can glimpse how radical a change God's grace makes in a way a passionate disciple thinks and responds as it changes the way we think about ourselves and in turn the way we think about others. We are all at the same table. Jesus is our host and also our guest. As host, he invites us, us who do not deserve his grace, to sit in the place of honour. And as guest, he shows true humility, taking on the identity of a servant, placing himself at the lowest place for our sakes. And we are both host and guest to Jesus as well. We invite him into our lives And we also find our place at his table, receiving his grace. Either way, as host or guest, the position we take in in response to God's grace is a position of humility. True humility. Not the false humility that barely hides our neediness to be loved and find acceptance, but the kind of humility that rests in knowing that we are already loved beyond our ability to comprehend it. As we sung earlier, God's love never fails, it never gives up, never runs out. And in that, and we also sang that the goodness of God, that's the goodness of God, that's the way of grace. The religious leaders didn't get it. I pray that we might. And if you don't know that you are that deeply loved, then after the service there will be people down the front here who would love to pray with you so that you may know to the very core of your being that you are loved that you are graced, that you are a dearly loved and valued child of God. And if you have other needs and cares, these same folks will pray with you as well because God's grace is at work even when we don't understand it. And if you're online, the online host would love to pray with you even as we speak. So know this, friends. You are loved. You are blessed. You are graced.
Let's live that way and sing of the goodness of God. Please join me as I pray. You are indeed the God of all love and grace. As we look to you, may Christ increase as we decrease in every area of life until we can say that it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. For the praise and honour of your name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.